All right. I'm Alexis. I'm Mallory. And this is Newtcast. Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of Newcast. Um, we're super pumped for today. We are going to have to hold back a lot because we have so much that we'd like to talk about. But in the interest of going more in depth instead of racing through everything as quickly as possible. Yep. Today we have a special guest, Elizabeth Barcelos. Hey, guys. Oh, you introduce yourself, Liz. Oh, so. Um... My name's Elizabeth Barcelos. Uh, I'm a Ravenclaw slash Thunderbird. Uh, Pottermore says I'm a gray squirrel, but I embraced my inner otter a long time ago, so that's what I'm going to say I am. Um, <laughs> uh, I live in Silicon Valley, and my favorite characters are Luna Lovegood and Jacob Kowalski, who I have a lot to say about today. Um, oh, yay! So excited. By the way, do you prefer to go by Elizabeth? I, I'm worried about it. I go by both. It's... Okay. Liz is just easier to yell like on a Quidditch pitch, so that's <laughs> that's that's where I know Alexis from. So she's used to hearing that more. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm used to Liz, so I might be sticking with that. Okay, cool. Um, before we get into Fantastic Beasts for real, let's go into Potter Watch a bit. Um, very quickly, Cursed Child just won the Best Play at London Evening Standard Awards, so that's cool. The article Variety wrote about it, about uh, how this could be the first award of a sure treasure trove of awards. So it looks like it's very well liked in the theatrical community. So that's interesting and really great. So in Fantastic Beasts news, obviously the biggest news is that the movie came out and it debuted with $75 million in earnings. Internationally, it did very, very well too. And supposedly, like, 75 mil is, like, it's the least amount out of all the Harry Potter films, but it's around where they expected it to be, um, just because this isn't based off of the international best-selling book series. So they were actually really happy with the number, so it's so far doing so good. Um, They released the mobile game that was talked about very sparingly. I downloaded it. Have you played it at all? I did. (laughs) It's so cute. I played it a little bit today, too. It was better than I was expecting. Yeah heard that it was going to be a hidden objects thing I thought it was just going to be like a room full of things and you got to click on stuff but there's more of like a story involved and you get to be part of like history and it's really cool and it's free so if you have a smartphone I recommend downloading it yeah I downloaded it but I haven't had a chance to yet so that's good to know um so yeah the screenplay itself was also released I think all three of us have read through it Mm -hmm. yep it's just gorgeous like I I, I buy books to read them, but I also like seeing, like, pretty books on my shelf. And this belongs next to, like, the main seven in a way that Cursed Child kind of doesn't. Yeah, the cover and, like, the artwork throughout the book is just so beautifully stylized. I really love it. It is Absolutely. gorgeous. I have actually a lot of thoughts on the spacing of it, though. But there were a lot of random blank pages. Yeah, that it I just felt, felt like... like, how much can we get out of this? <laughs> yeah. But I feel like that's a whole new episode we could talk about. There were also a lot of other just merchandise that came out along with the film. There was the film guide that came out, a photo book that was just oh, yeah. a bunch of pictures from the set, a bunch of other random merchandise. I bought a Makuza journal. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. It was so pretty. So I may actually start journaling. We'll see. I have this problem with journals where I don't want to write in them because... Because they're too pretty. I have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> So Joe did tweet about the Fantastic 
Fantastic Beast story that it will end in 1945. I think everyone knows it's going to be ending with Grindelwald versus Dumbledore, that whole duel. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of years for five movies, though. And it'll be interesting to see how they wrap it up with some kind of finality, since we know that Grindelwald doesn't die. So, I mean, he gets captured at the end of this movie, and... We know he's going to break out again. Mm -hmm. So what is going to make this final capture and defeat more final? I have to assume that like he's going to be stripped of his power in some way. Ooh, true. Well, he won't have the Elder Wand. Also true. Yeah, he Um, has it now. I mean, he got it when he was a kid, so or at least younger. So he has it now. Right. I assume he wasn't using it as Graves, though, because he needed to maintain the illusion. Yeah, that'd be a pretty good giveaway. But I wonder where it is. I feel like that's how he's going to break out. Honestly, he like grafts it into into his skin or something. And he's <laughs> something just like, wild oh, I've never heard of before. Yeah, that's going to be something crazy, but he'll have it. So I did see an article, and I'm not 100% sure how reliable this information is. Um, because it came from David Yates, and it was like someone quoting David Yates. <laughs> Take it with a grain of salt, but he said that Newt's commander is going to be more of a side character in the future movies, which... Boo. I mean, I kind of feel like I was expecting it to some degree because I had been wondering whether we were going to be following Newt or Grindelwald more. Yeah. We just got attached to him. Allow me to move away from the microphone to really adequately express my feelings about that. (laughs) Boo! (laughs) Time in this movie, getting attached to these four main characters, and then one gets his memory wiped at the end. Such a Donna Noble moment. <laughs> Sorry, bringing <laughs> Doctor Who for a moment. She is my favorite character, but his, his, he's not a lost cause. He's yeah. he's going to be back. He, he yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of when and how. Right. It just hurt to watch. And then, like reading the screenplay, there were hints it was going to happen too. It's like, oh, oh, I know. Okay, we'll talk about that more. Yes, yeah, sorry. In that same article, which I read before I had finished reading the screenplay, which makes it more clear but um it also says that credence will be coming back in the films so that makes it pretty clear that he is not dead mm-hmm. i have thoughts on this too but i will go into them later okay mm-hmm. I also that news? let's move on to suitcase whoop, whoop. dive in so as we mentioned <laughs> since we have so much that we want to talk about with these films um we're going to space it out throughout a few episodes so today we're mostly just going to be talking about a few points that we all wanted to talk about the most. And then in future episodes, we'll focus more on the characters individually, the plot of the film and the themes of the film. But first, we're just going to kind of talk about our overall impressions and feelings about the movie. I feel like I've made a big mistake to quote Arrested Development. Well, I'm just like bringing all <laughs> coins of pop culture right today. It kind of felt like an extended trailer for me. The few things at the end were surprising. So I was glad for that. But for the most part, I feel like I had seen every scene already. Okay, I wondered what you meant when you said that. Like, the trailers pretty much told you everything that was... Yeah, yeah. Happen. Out of all of them, I've probably watched an eighth of the film. I don't know, like, you know, all the yeah. important lines. You're like, oh, that's where that came from. Oh, that's where that came from. You know, like, it wasn't like a, an experience of, like, learning as you go. It was like, a, oh, I, now I can apply that knowledge of this into here. So, I don't know. It's a different experience. I feel like I would have enjoyed it better had I not watched stuff. But yeah, I liked it. I liked it overall. This, but avoiding uh, trailers lately, because lately the trailers just seem to have all the good scenes in a movie. So it's just something yep. I've been avoiding lately, even for movies I want to see. Yeah, I think I'm going to start avoiding them more often. I might see the first trailer, but that's it. 
Let me tell you, it's hard work. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Okay, yeah. So I felt like the spoiler avoidance I went through, even though it was really difficult to navigate through the internet during <laughs> this period of time, it was worth it because it really maintained that sense of surprise and magic. Like there are so many moments watching this film where I just had these joyous feelings of surprise and like every animal that popped up, I was so excited. When that Thunderbird came, uh-huh. I about lost my mind. I was, <laughs> like I had to work oh, to stay in my seat because oh, I didn't expect to see a Thunderbird. Really? It made me really happy to be sorted in that house. Like I was kind of like, okay, I guess. But then I saw it. I'm like, no, this is my thing now. This is my <laughs> so gorgeous. Yeah. And just that whole scene where we were going into the suitcase, every animal that popped up, I was just giddy the whole time. Um, it really captured that feeling of magic for me, especially after Cursed Child, which for me, having not seen the play, Mm -hmm. lacked the feeling of the magical excitement. I also enjoyed in this film that I could really feel more clearly that this was J.K. Rowling's work. There were a lot of turns of phrase or Uh just moments, and especially the themes that came out where I was like, that's Joe. Yeah. (laughs) Who sass her stamp. Orphans. Mm -hmm. All over it. (laughs) Yep, orphans, people who feel out of place, just, yeah. Absolutely. But when I saw that you, in your notes, when you said it felt like an extended trailer, I wondered if you meant it felt very much like a part one. Yes, that's another part. Which is, since we know that there are going to be four more movies, it's fine and it works, but if this were the only movie that were coming, I would be left feeling very disappointed. Oh, same, yeah. I, I was just talking to someone today about that. Like, it felt like the value of this film will increase as the other ones come out. Mm -hmm. And as we start to tie up those questions of like, okay, so what about this, you know, Shaw character? Who cares? I feel like he's going to have to come back later on. Right. Otherwise, a lot of hints that don't get tied up. But we know her and we know how she operates. I can trust her on that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I went into this with really low expectations. Like I had low expectations with Cursed Child and I came away with it not hating it. And I had a lot of friends that hated it. But I love this when I came out of it. It was, it really captured that like sense of like magic for me. I'll touch on this a bit more later, but I picked up the Harry Potter books when I was in high school. So I didn't get the feeling of growing up with Harry, but I got to see people who I felt were closer to being my peers, like discovering magic and I was discovering it with them. And it was so cool. That's awesome. It was, it was a really good film. I also Um, wondered too, if it would be something that only people who, who are really into Harry Potter would enjoy yeah. thoughts yeah. on that I saw it with my boyfriend who also likes Harry Potter but not to the level that I do and he came away not liking it much at all and I was like but this that and like I was pulling out all these obscure things he's like yeah but like you shouldn't have to have done your homework before you go see a movie yeah I'm like but Harry Potter fans kind of do so yeah like who is the audience of this movie mm-hmm. that's an interesting and, like, point. that might determine <laughs> Yeah, because I was I was thinking about this today of like whole transmedia storytelling thing of like having Pottermore add to the depth of this movie. Is that something that's next level or are we taking it back a notch? Like, is this something that's really adding to the magic or are we expecting too much of the audience and really like not using film as a medium to tell the full story? So I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. I went with a friend that anymore just because having friends that liked Harry Potter ruined it for him for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> he went into the movie and I, I asked him beforehand, I'm like, what do you expect? Like out of the scale of one to 10, he's like, I expect a five. I was like, okay. And then after the movie, he's like, 
That was a 6.5. So it exceeded his expectations. I take that as a compliment to the movie, <laughs> but... <laughs> wasn't confusing, which is a big thing for me. I thought it would be confusing for people, but I think it was pretty clear. One of the things my boyfriend didn't like about the movie is that he felt that characters made choices that made no sense. I wouldn't go that far, but there were definitely moments like, why are you doing that? Yeah, okay. It's hard for me to gauge because as a Harry Potter fan and a huge Harry Potter fan, having not seen any of the trailers, I expected to be more lost than I was. Mm -hmm. I felt like I followed it reasonably well, especially considering how hard it was to understand the dialogue sometimes in that theater. (laughs) I had a hard time sometimes with the dialogue. Okay, so we each like selected five different things we wanted to talk about. We might not be able to get through them all. But we'll talk about the ones that really stood out to us the most first, just so we get to the best parts first. For me, I loved the magic in the film, which I know is like the full film, so I'm going to try to like specify that. The very first encounters we have with magic are in the bank, Petrificus Totalis and Alohomora, these familiar spells that we've known since year one. It's just It just felt like we were in first year of Hogwarts in the first like five minutes of the film. I did notice though, like from that point, we moved on to nonverbal spells nearly constantly. I wish we could have heard more spells because for me, nonverbal spells are like more advanced magic and I wouldn't use that every day if it was difficult to do. But for the most part, um, I loved how, how much they incorporated spells and different kinds of spells, especially familiar ones throughout the film. Well, I'm, one thing I really appreciated about this film that is one of my biggest pet peeves about the Potter films is that the spells did what they're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my biggest pet peeves about the movies is that almost all the spells, especially in the earlier films, just knock people over. Oh, yeah. And in this one, like, if they said the words, what those, what those words do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And then at the end, um, Newt, like, the reason we find out Grindelwald is there is because Newt uses Revelio. Like, I didn't quite catch it in the theater, but when I was reading it, I'm like, oh, that's what he said. And that's something yeah. we know. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's true. Newt, in particular, was a lot more proficient in spell work than I thought he would be. For some reason, like, I envision him as, like, a magizoologist. Like, he's good with animals. He's good with, you know, knowledge and science and stuff. But um, it appears as though he gained a lot of magical prowess, I guess, at Hogwarts. Do we know how far along he was in Hogwarts when he got kicked out? I don't think so. I mean, I have to assume he was pretty far along. He'd have to be pretty advanced in order to be able keep his wand and everything right yeah no i mean Um, speaking of wands like i think he got to keep his wand because hagrid had that anti-giant prejudice going um Mm. but i think maybe the reason you thought he'd be inept is because hagrid is who we think of when we think of magical creatures and he's not necessarily a great wizard but newt isn't hagrid right that's true that's true yeah there's a lot of things that are parallel with the two of them that i I think are going to definitely come up considering the Chamber of Secrets is happening within this time period of these films. Mm-hmm. I imagine that Newt is like Hagrid's like hero in a way. I don't know. I, that would make sense to me. Is that so cute to think about? Yeah. <laughs> Precious. <laughs> there was an interesting line in the screenplay that talks about like when he's dueling with all of the Aurors under underground it's towards the end. And there's a line that says something along the lines of like, he's been holding this one back. So after he has a swooping evil swooping around, he casts a spell that binds. I wondered about that too when I read it, because I didn't notice anything particularly extraordinary when I was watching the movie. Right. So now I need to, of course, go see it again and be like, okay. Yeah. 
I was interested in like what that was because when I saw the film, I thought he just like it looked like a like a you know the sticky hands that you got in like the nineties <laughs> that you like put on the windows. It looked like one of those things. Like he just like threw something onto his arms and it like bound his arms like in goo. This just occurred to me, but maybe this is a spell that he on his own when he's out capturing magical creatures. Yeah, that makes sense. Because he's capturing them. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to hurt them. Yeah. He just yeah. wants to capture them. It's got to be really powerful because I imagine Graves is really good at breaking free from things. Yeah. There's <laughs> evidence to that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I was interested in, in seeing that. Um, especially he's been holding this one back. Why is he holding back his power or magic or spells? I don't know. Just Maybe that's something to do with him being expelled. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And another part of the magic that happened a lot in this film is Obliviate. I'm, for me, I feel like that's one of those spells that all Harry Potter nerds know about, but people who don't know Harry Potter might not have known about until this film. And then there's this, like, one thing. Okay, so <laughs> they couldn't obliviate the entire city, so they used swooping evil venom, which we learned at the beginning of the film takes away bad memories, right? All of the bad stuff that happened to Nomadges is gone through, like, through magic. But Jacob's but experience Jacob's was good. was good. Yes, thank you. So while it took away some memories, I feel like that's why he had, like, animals as pastries. And, yeah. like, why he recognized Queenie yeah. so immediately three months later. Those were positive feelings and positive memories. But then I was also wondering why that venom doesn't work on magical people. You'd think that it would, because why else would Newt be, like, taking this venom and testing it. I don't think he would be testing it on no matches. Yeah, that was confusing to me because when Queenie goes out to kiss him, she makes a magical umbrella so she doesn't get wet. But then we see Aurors oh. going around just walking oh. in the rain. Yeah. So I feel like either there's some deeper explanation there we're missing or that was just an oversight in the film. Maybe she just doesn't want to get her hair wet. <laughs> it is very nice hair. Last part of magic that I want to talk about is Queenie's power of legitimacy. This is something that I read about beforehand, so I was aware of it, but I feel like I'm more aware of it because of the interview than I am with the film. I don't think the film explained it at all. Listened to your okay. yesterday, and you were talking about how her power is more focused on emotions than thoughts, and that surprised me because I didn't get that from the film. It right. just seemed more like it was an innate power that she'd been born with that right. she can't really turn off all the way. Yeah. I feel like it's easier to read people. Like she says to Nude at some point, it's easier to read people when they're hurting. So right. emotions are probably a factor. But yeah, I think it's on all the time and she doesn't know how to turn it off. Yeah. Well, it's like definitely. an antenna is what they said. It's, it's always wired. It's always on. She can't help it. Interesting to me, reading through this, I realized her coworkers don't even know that she has this power. Yeah. Like he was like, how did you know? But if you know Queenie, you know why she knows, you know? Mm-hmm. So she must have been keeping this a secret and I wonder how much that secret has been keeping her from like pursuing passions from getting to know people like just to see how much this affects her personal life I have a lot to say on this but I'm gonna save it for our character episode because I could go on for a long time okay (laughs) do you have any thoughts Liz um I think because Jacob's not scared by it that might be part of the reason she likes him so much I mean, there are other reasons he does, and I'm going to comment on it when I talk about him. But I think because he's, he, first of all, Jacob is not intimidated by magic at all, which I love. 
And I feel like even wizards would be intimidated by Legilimens, but because he's not, that's why she takes such a shine to him so quickly. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. He is different. He is one of a kind. <laughs> Can we talk about him? Because I, I have so many yeah. thoughts. Do you want to go do that one? Okay, so like I mentioned a little earlier, um, seeing somebody older discover magic, which is such an open heart and such joy was amazing. And like, it had me tearing up in the theater. It was great because I went into this movie thinking Newt would be my audience surrogate because Newt knows how British magic works and I know how British magic works. But by the end, I felt like Jacob and had all these hints he was going to get obliviated. Like he asks um, Newt what it is and Newt explains. He's like, oh yeah, I definitely don't want that to happen to me. So when it happens to him at the end of the movie, it almost feels like I was getting kicked out of the Wizarding World too. Oh. And so that was really rough. That's a really good observation. I feel like you just put words into what I was feeling at the end there and I couldn't quite put a yeah I feel that what little previews I saw I thought he was gonna be a bumbling sidekick but I ended up liking him so much like the reason he couldn't start a business he came back to the states late because he stayed in Europe um handling things after the war and so seeing that little camaraderie between him and Newt talking about being in the war together like he's not I mean, we should know better because, like, J.K. also wrote Ron, who he got turned into a bubbling sidekick in the movies, which is a shame because Ron is more than that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Jacob is the same. He looks like a sidekick, but he's great. He grounds the hero. I wish the movie did a better job of this because I didn't notice it till I read the screenplay. But that scene where they're about to go fight the Obscurus and they're all leaving Jacob behind, there's that moment Queenie and um, Jacob are together before she takes him with her in the screenplay it says that she reads his mind and she saw what he saw during the wars and i just i mean there's almost no way of showing that in the movie other than a flashback but that was oh i really liked that part it made him it just made him more of a complete character than he already was that makes me wonder if they filmed flashbacks and then just ended up cutting it because it didn't work in the final version yeah i mean there's no way she mentions that in the screenplay and not at least just no indication when you're watching it that that's what's going on. That's a yeah. that's an interesting thing about the screenplay, though, um, because there are moments in the trailers that are not in the screenplay, too, that I can think of right off the bat. One of them is the famous line, I want to be a wizard, right? Not even yeah. in the screenplay because it didn't make the cut. I feel like they finished editing this film a while back before they had to start publishing, um, and they adjusted the screenplay to the edit. Agreed immensely <laughs> yeah I was wondering that too because I was like this is extremely close to the film and I know that mm -hmm. films get hacked apart after mm -hmm. yeah, yeah I would have much rather had the full writing like without whatever the actors were like saying maybe ad lib you know like I'd rather have what JK Rowling intended it to be and then to see what the final product was it, it's almost like a, an adaptation in a way every time <laughs> you do a screenplay to film um, but that would have shown the screenplay process a lot better. But that, that's kind of off topic. But <laughs> Jacob, though, I really like Jacob a lot. There's a theory that I read on Reddit about him being a metaphor for J.K. Rowling. I love that. Ooh. Which was a really good theory. I could read it through right now if you do it. Okay. Um, I'll see if I can sum up. They said that Jacob is like the metaphor for J.K. Rowling and the publication of the Harry Potter series. He starts off with a crap life and is not in a good place, similarly to how J.K. Rowling struggled with depression before writing Harry Potter. Um, he's talented at his craft of baking, or in her case, writing, but gets 
turned down by the bank um, because they don't want to take a risk. And of course, J.K. Rowling was turned down by many major publishers for the same reason. We later learned that he didn't want to start a bakery for success, but because he just wanted to make people happy and he loved the act of baking. Um, at the end of the film, he opens his bakery and the queue is all the way out the door, um, similarly to how Harry Potter fans queued for Aww. the books. Um, and when asked where he gets the ideas for the creature-shaped pastries and cakes, he doesn't really know, which is like how Harry Potter popped in her, into her mind, right? It just came to her. I, I don't know if it's true, but I want it to be. I know. <laughs> and they say, like, the real clincher for the argument is the initials Jacob Kowalski is JK. Of course, the only reason he's able to do this is because he was fortunate enough to get these eggs, which who knows what those represent in this case. It could be just fortune, right? It just happening mm. upon able to publish first Harry Potter book and JK makes rolls oh (laughs) that's another thing no somebody mentioned that on his uh papers that he gives to the banker apparently one of the lines that he proposes for the title of his his bakery is JK rolls no yeah (laughs) I feel like we almost say that because one of my bullet points is puns that I'm not (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much that's yeah. one of the things about the film that gave it that J.K. Rowling feeling is the fact that she can't resist a good pun or a good alliteration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to your point, Liz, I saw somebody else talk about how Jacob is also a very good example of a metaphor for the audience and how they receive Harry Potter. And I don't know, I can't remember the details of that one, but I've seen that too. So I feel like there's a lot of ways you could read into this mm-hmm. and they're all valid in my opinion. Jacob is like the first like non-magical protagonist in this in this movie which or in any of like uh J.K. Rowling's work which is really interesting because Wizarding Britain doesn't have a particularly negative opinion of muggles but the Dursleys hate magic then you get to America which is very afraid of nomads but you have a nomad protagonist oh I did not notice that it's true I, I found that pretty, like, there's just so much to like about him. Like, I could go on all day, but we have other things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that a lot. I never thought of that comparison before, but that's all about just, like, you know, hating the other. But she just completely flipped it on its head because we're entering from the wizarding's perspective right now. Mm-hmm. Which is such a J.K. Rowling thing, and a thing oh, yeah. I felt was missing from Cursed Child. Yeah, it seemed a little bit, like over the top of like everyone hates Slytherins oh what was Slytherin yeah (laughs) to make them the other in a way but interesting yeah Yeah, but yeah it reminded me a lot actually of the founder of Ilvermorny James Stewart Mm. you remember that yeah no like America has this weird like relationship with like muggles and magic that yeah I'm looking there, there has to be more of it like Jacob has to come back you can't keep like Grindelwald separate from like muggles forever like He's basically wizard Hitler, so there's going to be some overlap somehow. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think Jacob is going to play a key role. Although, like, I know it's a theory that we talked about, like, Newt being a side character. I just can't see that. It just seems like it would be confusing. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like they're intentionally messing with our expectations. I'm all for being pleasantly surprised. Same. (laughs) Okay, do you want to move on to yours, Mallory? Sure. So most of the points I picked were sort of things that don't really fit into our other categories but they're also things that people have been talking about a lot so the first one I want to talk about is Grindelwald specifically his transfiguration into graves first of all 
what was going on in the very beginning when we see like these people converging on a building and there's a fight going on and Grindelwald we see like the back of his head I think uh-huh. mm. in retrospect that makes me think that um, that was him attacking Graves and oh. he took his place because after that the newspaper headlines that we see were all like Grindelwald vanishes where mm-hmm. is Grindelwald nobody knows where he is everybody's panicking mm-hmm. when I first saw the building I got all excited because I thought it might be over morning. Me too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, <laughs> on that one. but I'm pretty sure it wasn't. So. It wasn't. According to the screenplay, it was someplace in Europe. Okay. Europe. I was wondering if it was like Nurmengard or something, but I don't think he built it yet. Yeah, that's true. It could have been. Yeah, and then it also made me wonder what, what the real Graves was like. I mean, we have to have seen his personality to some extent because Grindelwald was playing a good enough impersonation of him right. to convince his... Mm-hmm co-workers and all these people who knew him and then we were feel- seeing more of the actual Grindelwald come out when he was having his secret meetings with Credence toward the end when he is really letting his true colors show mm-hmm. but it's a question of you know what was the real Graves like was he a little more friendly than this guy was I mean it seemed like of a old somewhat friendly relationship with Tina so it just makes me curious about the guy. I mean, we've seen similar things with um, Quirrell and um, yeah. and Moody, where you have the bad guy replacing the good guy. And, like, especially, like, with Quirrell, like, he just gets flat out, like, replaced. I found the whole, like, Graves being, like, impersonated by Grindelwald. It reminded me a lot of Sorcerer's Stone, actually. You had the bad guy in plain sight the whole time. Someone else, I was reading something that had to do with that as well, of it being very familiar to the first book in the series for me it felt a lot more like Madeline Moody just because of the the nature of one being completely replacing the other and knocking on the back of their head I guess yeah in book four she sets it up a lot of like Ron telling Harry oh he's like the scariest guy around like that you, you had an impression of what people thought about Madeline Moody before even meeting Madeline Moody mm-hmm. so here we don't have that same thing we don't have like oh this is what people think of graves we just have like you just see him the way he interacts as graves mm-hmm. with other people and how they interact with him intimidated by him so mm-hmm. yeah he gives off a very like vibe mm-hmm. kind of you know he knows what he's doing and he's not someone you want to truffle with truffle. i say a truffle <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's an office reference <laughs> I, can't I am not to be truffled with oh my god valerie <laughs> I want to know, like, how this transformation happened. Like, is it Polyjuice? Okay, yes, that was my other point as far as the transfiguration. Um, was he using Polyjuice potion, or was he just using really, really advanced human transfiguration? I don't know if Revelio works on Polyjuice. Like, I was too lazy to go look it up before recording this, but I feel like it doesn't. I feel like it's a spell and not Polyjuice. Yeah, and we know that Grindelwald is pretty on par with Dumbledore as far as his magical abilities. And he has the Elder exactly. Wand, even if he's not really Dumbledore, we know, can do a um, disillusionment mm-hmm. charm that's so powerful that it renders him completely invisible. Yeah. So that, you know, could indicate that magic in general can just be amplified depending on the person's power, that maybe he can transfigure so well that he can just transfigure himself into another person. Yeah, yeah, I feel that... like if it was Polyjuice, we would have gotten those hip flask hints. Yeah. Well, then maybe that would have been that too would have obvious. Because you're like, okay, away. we've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, that was the <laughs> minor problem tried. I had with the movie. Like, how did that happen? Like, we're just taking for granted that he did it. I guess it kind of goes in that wandless magic category where we just expected to under, like, accept it because it's magic. And like 
like you mentioned, it also, I don't know, it doesn't sit right with me that Revelio would be able to undo Polyjuice Potion. But at the same time, if it could, would it really matter? Because once someone figures out that you're under Polyjuice Potion, your cover's blown and it doesn't matter. It's true. And I don't know if that's one of the things that we're ever actually going to figure out or if it's just going to be expect us to take for granted and roll with it. Can we talk about the Salemers? Yes. Yeah, let's let's do that. I have uh, one question about them. So this could be a really fast bullet point. Um, but that whole scene where Mary Lou is looking for the witch's mark, where this one kid comes in with a birthmark and like all of a sudden she and Creedence stop and like stare at him and like look at it. And the boy's like, is this the mark of a witch or whatever? She's like, no, you're good. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, like, I mean, the actual Salem, Salem times, they would, you know, see birthmarks or moles in weird places or like the witch's teeth if someone had like a third nipple or whatever. Those were all signs of witches. So it could just be alluding to that, but it felt like they were actually using that as a method of weeding Weeding people out. And they've done successfully before because they caught uh, Tina. Yeah. To some degree. I mean, I feel like it was just a way of revealing their ignorance. Like, we know wizards don't have moles and stuff, but they take that seriously. I think it's just showing they're as superstitious as the Salem, like, the original iteration was. That's how I took it. Okay. But it also makes me wonder, I mean, she's got two magical kids that she's adopted, and she knew that there at least was a witch. Wait, two? I wasn't sure if Modesty was a witch or not. I don't think she is. Oh, yeah, maybe not. If we look back into the magic, history of magic in North America, we did learn that a lot of the, what do you call them? Scours? Thank you. Yes. yes. Scours were wizards to begin with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, it is viable that Mary Lou has wizarding ancestry, um, possibly parents that were wizards and were maybe abusive. I don't know. Mm. Um, so I feel like she could have some connection to it, but she could be ignorant. Like you said, it could just be a, a sign of that. I don't know. I just feel like they wouldn't have kept that scene in the film, knowing all the cuts that they did make since the trailers were made, um, unless it was important to some degree. But it was just kind of funny because we're so used to having a certain kind of scar on somebody's forehead that I was just <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you're looking for a lightning bolt because uh, you're 50 years too early. <laughs> Liz, did you have one that you um, want to talk about next? I feel like... Alexis wanting to talk about Credence and me wanting to talk about the Obscurus, they kind of overlap. So let's do Credence first and then my theory, if that sounds good. Sure thing. Okay. Um, My heart aches for Credence. I know. I just want to hug him so badly. And then reading the screenplay was even worse. All those moments where he was just like, he craves like just physical touch. Like he just, he like doesn't know how to handle it. And I'm just like, you poor Mm -hmm. child. Because the only physical touch he probably gets is the belt from his like adoptive mother. (laughs) Liz. (laughs) Sorry. Well, and between him and Newt, there's so much eye contact avoidance in this film. Uh huh. It's almost overpowering how much these two will not look at people. Yeah. I feel like both of them have problems doing that with other people. And so when you put them together. It was, yeah, it was interesting. They only had one scene together, really. Yeah. And you you can't help but think that it the one thing to bring them together was this Obscurus, which I don't know if I should call it a creature I don't know what it is. I still don't have my opinion. Yeah, it's it's hard to put a definition on it. I kind of just used the word force as a placeholder, but... Yeah, yeah Newt has called it a force, a parasitic force. Mm-hmm. So my big question for Credence, though, is how much does he know about his own abilities? 
Um, like, does he even know that he's a source of the Obscurus? How aware is he of attacking other people? Is that sort of like an instinctual thing that the Obscurus does? And the reason I ask these questions is because he searches under Modesty's bed. And that just doesn't make sense to me unless he's looking for that child. Like, he's assuming that he's not the child because Graves is looking for a 10-year-old, right? Like, his Obscurus form doesn't even kill Graves when he transforms that first time in front of us, which for me didn't really make any sense. Like, he's I am not going to control it. Graves would get it just right in there and then, but he just goes out to the building instead. I mean, plot-wise, it makes sense because he's an extremely major character that has to stick around, but as far as Credence, through his motivations, it, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like Credence can't control it initially, but, like, the people who are killed by the Obscurus are, like, people who treated him like dirt. Like, Shaw calls him a freak, and obviously his mother is his mother. We don't know why his Obscurus destroys that house at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But I'm sure there was some kind of trigger. But, yeah, I think he eventually learns how to control Like, he says, I don't want to control it anymore. I don't think he ever really had control over it, ever. He would just get really angry and resentful, and the Obscurus would be like, oh, I'm going to go eat that thing. Yeah. I wonder if he thought Modesty was a witch, though. Like, I, mean, I assumed he did because he wanted to be part of the magical world so badly, and the way he was going to get that was to give Graves what he wanted. Which is a 10-year-old mm-hmm. on himself. Love himself. Okay. He didn't realize his own power. But on that topic of 10-year-olds, I want to put forward my theory about I don't think there was a seer at all, and this is why. So Newt says at the beginning, or earlier on in the movie, that the Obscurus he found was in Africa and she was 9, and they never passed the age of 10. And so later, um, when Graves is telling Credence, like, there's a child, and Credence wants details, he's like, no, all I know is that they're 10. Like, he doesn't give him a gender. Graves knows he's looking for an Obscurus, and I think Graves knows he's looking for an Obscurus because we know Graves is Grindelwald, and we know Graves was around when Ariana Dumbledore died, and I believe that Ariana Dumbledore was an Obscurus. Yes, yeah. for sure. And we're going to find out about this in later movies. Right. She she was hurt by those muggle boys when she was younger, and so, like, that was a reason for her to repress herself, and that would be a really good reason for her family to keep her locked away. Well, the language that's used in Deathly Hallows in that story really fits with what we know about mm-hmm. the Obscurus. I mean, it talks about how her ma- magic was... You know, she would hold it in, but then it would just burst forth chaotically and cause damage. And that sounds exactly like what we've seen. Yeah. How old was she when she died? I don't know. Uh, she had to be around. I looked at this. I'll pull it up again real quick. But she's going to be around 10. Yeah, I definitely think that theory has the most merit out of all of the ones that I've been reading. That Ariana says. Yeah, she was born in 1885 and died in 1899. So she was born a hundred years before me. And in 1990, oh, she was a little older. In 1999, I was 14. 14. So she was 14. So, but if we know that at least Dumbledore, like our Dumbledore, not Aberforth, was pretty strong. Maybe she was a, had the potential to be a strong witch too. Right, right. But that do, oh, that does kind of deflate my theory a little bit about Graves knowing that an Obscurus wouldn't last. Well, you know, maybe just encountered Ariana and then after seeing her power yeah researched it and she could and learned that people generally did not live past the age of 10. Yeah that's fair. I think this is how Newt gets to be in the films because essentially the film series is about Grindelwald and Dumbledore right Mm -hmm. that's the idea but I think Newt's knowledge of obscure obscuri obscurials (laughs) um part because that's what graves will want out of newt so i think that's how they're going to be meeting again is 
upgrades, maybe trying to recruit new, like his whole line of like, I wonder what makes Dumbledore so fond of you mm. is he like sees potential in you. What is he seeing? Cause I trust that. I was actually going to bring this up in a later episode too, but since you mentioned that I felt like he was sort of testing him. He was talking to him, to him and saying, well, then it's no, of no use. Mm-hmm. If, useless. Yeah. If it's useless, yeah. the person that it comes from. And when he sees Newt's reaction to that, he's like, okay, well, now you're not my friend. And uh-huh. he also knows Sentences that. to death. Yeah, yeah. He basically tries to get rid of him, partially also because he lets his true colors show. Yeah, I think he slipped up. I guess one last thing about Obscurals. Like, again, this is kind of, I wish they had done a better job of showing it in the movie. But and in the scene where, like, I thought Credence was dead. And so to hear that he's going to come back, I was like, well, how? But in the screenplay, there's a line about um, its description. Newt follows Madame Pickery's gaze. He sees a tendril of black matter, a small part of the Obscurus, floating down through the roof. Unnoticed by anyone else, it eventually floats up and away, trying to reconnect with his host. So I feel like that's the opening to bring Credence back. But the movie didn't show that well. I noticed it, actually. I saw oh, okay. Then maybe it was just me. Yeah, after the movie, that was my, my big thing. Because I... <laughs> I simultaneously love this and hate this. I really, from a film and writing and story perspective, I want Credence to die. Because nobody kills anybody off anymore. I know. We've been through the Avengers too much. No, there need to be stakes. Um, there needs to be some sort of big death. And I think because these are these films are starting off pretty dark, mm-hmm. get darker as they go along, just like Harry Potter. But we're, I feel like we're leaving off where Harry Potter, or starting off where Harry Potter left off. Yeah. So I feel like there needs to be a significant death in this more so than just Mary Lou Barebone, who kind of like Umbridge, but so what? Yeah. Um, and to have him come back, I don't, I don't, I like that just because I want Ezra Miller to be able to come back because he loves this so much. <laughs> That's He's literally the, the redeeming factor is Ezra Miller. <sighs> I don't know if I like that very much from a story standpoint. I feel the same. It'd be less satisfying. Like, you're. <laughs> Yeah, I do think Makusa is ruthless. They were going to execute Tina and New, and you're like, yeah, that was Graves, but nobody stopped him. And yeah. when it seems like Credence is dead, it kind of shows that, like, Makusa ruthlessness. And, like, the Obliviate poor Jacob. Like, uh, Makusa is not the Ministry of Magic, and I'm not happy with my country in the 1920s. At least the magical <laughs> half. Yeah, I feel like I really like Serafina Pickery, but she's problematic. That was. I also noticed that I I found myself agreeing with Grindelwald in one line of just like that wasn't right. You should have you shouldn't have killed him, right? Mm-hmm. And when I was like agreeing with Grindelwald, I was like, oh my gosh, that's how you know that this is a well written villain because yeah. mm-hmm. you can sympathize with him and agree with the root of where his beliefs came from. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to see where people can take that next step and Go start. Astray. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dumbledore almost did. So, yeah. And sorry, before we move on, I remembered what the line was. It wasn't about um, the Obscurus. It was when he was interrogating him and he said, like, was that your objective to come to New York and, like, mm-hmm. set these uh, magic free and, like, start a war and everything? And he was testing him to see if he agreed with yeah. his actual yeah. beliefs. And he's like, no, I'm not one of Grindelwald's fanatics. And he's like, well, okay then. Fine. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the reason I want to see this film again. It's just to be able to read Graves in a different mm-hmm. way. Yeah, that's what I love about it. I I don't know. I almost wish Graves had just been one of Grindelwald's followers 
it felt, it felt it really weird to have Grindelwald in the movie. And I, I, I don't like the casting either. Like, Johnny Depp is just weird. Like, you know who should have been Grindelwald? Like, Christoph Waltz. He would have been an amazing Grindelwald. Yeah, yeah it just felt, like, Grindelwald felt weird. Like, I wanted to like it, but if Graves had been a Grindelwald follower, I think, I well, think it would have been a better first movie. Maybe, maybe he is, though. Maybe Graves sacrificed himself Ooh. in the name of Grindelwald's journey. Maybe they that met could be interesting. in Europe for that reason. I don't know. Well, and Colin Farrell was so compelling oh, as that I character. Know. I mean, he did such oh a gosh. great job. And then the shift to Johnny Depp, because Johnny Depp is recognizable and oh. he's Johnny Depp. Yeah. Johnny Depp it's only knows felt... how to play weird Johnny Depp is the problem. Exactly. So you don't see him, oh, that's Grindelwald. They're like, yeah. that's who he really is. You don't see him as the character. You see him as Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp wearing weird contacts. It's, it's like crazy hair. It's buzz cut and blonde hair. Yeah. It was very off-putting for me and it didn't feel natural. No. The no. thing is, I, I assumed Grindelwald would be like more attractive because that's how you see him as a boy but yeah. i forgot the fact that it has been a few years and he has become unrecognizable the fact that he looked really strange was off-putting to me at first but then once i like reread that i was like oh okay that's probably why but yeah i'm not a huge fan of johnny depp i feel like that's not he's uh, no anyway yeah we also have the example of voldemort of if you dabble too much in dark magic like there goes your pretty he was pretty because <laughs> he started up pretty dang good looking himself yeah ray fine is a fine looking man mm-hmm. <laughs> um one thing i noticed right away in the movie was the first time they mentioned the obscurus i was like hold the phone that's the name of the publishing company that hmm. her fantastic I, piece the textbook i did not notice that so but i mean because i had been geeking out about yeah. it so much when we were talking about the textbook yeah about the fact that she would make up a publishing company obscurus so then I wondered, you know, is this just a coincidence? Like, she's like, hey, this is a cool name. I'm going to use it for this idea I have about magic and how it can turn into this dark force. Or is it connected some really convoluted, obscure way and the publishing company wanted him to? I don't know. Well, the I thing is, to... oh, go ahead. sorry, this book technically gets published the year following this film. Yeah. So that kind of takes away. That's true. Of it. But that's, it is a really cool tie-in. But was he commissioned by the publishing company or by... I think he was commissioned by the publishing company. I can't I, remember. I don't remember. I would want to see, like, the real-life time difference between the textbook Fantastic Beasts coming out and Deathly Hallows. Um, because that would... Like, if that's a big chunk of time, maybe she hadn't quite invented what an Obscurus was, but she knew something was up with Ariana. But if they're yeah. closer together, maybe. But I don't know. It could go either way. Yeah, that's interesting. On the topic of Leda, I can't remember how they even pronounce it. Lita. Lita yeah. was strange. There's tons of theories about this, and it's very exciting. We won't get into it too deeply here. But if I hear one more person <laughs> wondering how she's related to Bellatrix, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. Bellatrix married into the Lestrange family. She was Bellatrix black, black. before that. Yep. Purebred? For Pure the record. Purebred bred, so they could be related. You don't know. It's true. They were very. <laughs> there's a lot of inter here, so who knows? But I have so many thoughts on this character, but we'll do it later. Yes. But oh my gosh, um, the fan fiction that's going to come from this. Mm-hmm. I got to hit most of my points, but I guess like I'm really glad I picked up the screenplay. I thought it was just me getting another pretty book for my shelf. 
and while there weren't like huge differences like there were just enough that like I felt uh, I don't know I don't want to say the screenplay made me like the movie less but it did make me see like oh there were just a few more opportunities for it to be better yeah mm-hmm. I like to think that you know we would have reached that conclusion eventually after having seen the film a few more times but it was just easier to get there sooner when we were able to read it and like go back a page and be like wait what was mm-hmm. that going on and more clearly see her intentions um yes as a screenwriter she wrote very literarily (laughs) (laughs) because you know she would write things that actors can't act which is like the rule one of screenwriting not to do but Mm. it's J.K. Rowling so everyone forgives her including (laughs) me um but she would say things like um oh my gosh especially when Graves was trying to comfort Credence that one time and he was doing so oh I wrote these words down uh I don't know where they are but it was just like about how like tantric craves human touch or whatever yeah it was almost oh, sexual no, when he was like four different synonyms to the word sexual yeah. <laughs> oh man and it was just like oh my gosh like this is this is like it was creepy in the film but all of a sudden you see like the depth of like how strange this must have been i don't know like between these two like very socially messed up oh characters yeah. and then all those scenes were so uncomfortable they did a really good job with that they did did. but i just feel like reading the screenplay definitely like helped me understand the depth to which that was creepy or strange i don't know Mm -hmm. this one small list of things that i feel like we had just a bite of now that are going to be important in the following films seraphina pickery is one of them who's a how i just said that the wrong way makusa according to me But she has like a scene where all of the magical community, like the leaders and ambassadors and things that were in that so one room. Cool. Very yeah. cool. Wish we could have learned more about those characters, but it's a film. I get it. But I feel like we're going to have those moments as well. So I feel like she's going to come into play in different international. That would make sense. You know, moments because she was so talked up before this film in Pottermore, especially. She was mm-hmm. a character we got the most out of. In the Ilver Morning writings, we learned about her house choice. Yep. We learned about her wand, I think. We learned about mm-hmm. all sorts of things from her, and yet we learn nothing about her in the film, to the point of her feeling almost flat. So I'm very intrigued as to how she's going to play into the films later on in the series. I hope we get to see a lot of, lot more of her like conflict as things going on, mm-hmm. her motivations, other mm-hmm. than just being like the stern enforcer. This of the is law. the law. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, another character are the well, the Shaw family is Shaw Senior and Langdon Shaw now, who's apparently drunk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought he was amazed. <laughs> yeah. How they're going to play a part because they feel, I feel like they're stuck in America. Yeah. And if they don't come back, I feel like there was not really a, much of a point of them in this film other than someone to get killed off. Yeah. I really hope she comes back to them in the future. I feel like this film made me actually feel like we're going to come back to New York eventually. I don't know why. Yeah. You know what would be cool? Langdon gets sucked in with the whole second um salem somehow remembers things and then remembers this crazy lady who was always preaching about witches and then through that gets connected with the scourers and that's how we learn more about the scourers his dad has that paper like that's that's still a thing that could be like hanging over them right and although they were basically uh obliviated the fact remains that they took pictures of the event so they have these pictures in their cameras. I assume that doesn't get disappeared because the, the pictures we saw disappearing off the newspapers were from the Aurors. Yeah. Magic happened. So the fact that they took pictures in their camera and just went home, they're going to have to develop the pictures and they're going to see this like magical force. 
And another thing is Ilvermorny. I really wanted to see Ilvermorny. And no. she has given us nothing about those houses. Yeah. I know a lot about the history, but I just want to know more about the inner workings now. We're starving, Joe. It didn't fit in the movie, but like they have to go there at some point. Yeah. Any other last thoughts? I just want to throw in the puns before we leave. Okay. <laughs> I really loved when Graves was like, we have to go. Your sister's in grave danger. <laughs> because she was danger from Graves. The fact that their newspaper is called the New York Ghost instead of the New York Post. Oh! <laughs> oh, I didn't even catch that. Me neither. <laughs> Me really happy. <laughs> I just want to know about Theseus Scamander. Like, I remember that now that now we're talking oh, yes. about, like, oh. the, the international group of wizards. Like, Newt's famous enough in his own country that the ministry knows him. But other people that aren't British wizards know who his brother is. And I want to know why they know that. I think he just, because he worked at the ministry, the minister knew him. But, but yeah, the non One of the non-British wizards knew who his brother was. Right. And I found that to be like, oh, I didn't know this character existed until right now. The character Theseus in other mythology. Oh boy, I don't remember. <laughs> He's the one that got to the maze, uh, the middle of the maze with the Minotaur. <gasps> yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I don't okay. want to think about mazes because I watch Westworld and like that's got a lot of maze stuff going on, and <laughs> I don't want to cross those wires. And I mean, we never know with her because sometimes her names she picks are relevant to the person themselves and what they do, and sometimes it's just a cool name that she pulls out of. Yeah, you're wrong. Mythology or whatever. But what kind of parents so name one son Theseus and then the other one Newton and one of his middle names is Fido? Like clearly they had a favorite. Right? Well, I love it. Well, his mom did breed hippogriffs, but I just <laughs> I just read in Wikipedia responsible for the political unification of Attic under Athens, which is cool because political and uniting, which is what is needed in 1945. Mm. Um, but then it says it's represented emblematically and his journey of labors subduing ogres and monstrous beasts well so he's known for subduing beasts which is interesting anyway i don't know what that means yet but something something to chew on Mm -hmm. it's gonna be an interesting time going through these films it's it's nice not knowing where it's going i'm really excited yeah i have missed that feeling yeah we finally get to theorize again for real (laughs) and there's so much to chew on two years though are we gonna be able to make it yeah, we made it to the book five. We can make it to anything. <laughs> oh God, I didn't start reading the books until when book four came out. So I went through all four at once and then I was stuck waiting with everyone else. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. So next time on Newcast, we're going to be covering the characters specifically. We're really going to be digging into each of these, especially the quartet, but also the side characters we mentioned today. If you guys have uh, thoughts on your first reactions on the film, do tell us about it. We want to hear from you. Um, Also, if you have special thoughts about characters, I know Liz has a lot of thoughts on Jacob that I will want to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Do tell us about them. We do want to go into these characters as much as possible. I definitely want to get into the etymology of memes, et cetera, et cetera. I'm excited to hear it. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh my gosh. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a delight. That's all. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.